Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, October 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Sanders is hospitalized for heart problems and suspends campaign events for now. Harris raises $11.6 million. Yang raises $10 million. Booker raises $6 million. Bennett raises $2 million. Trump and the RNC raise $125 million. Why Mark Cuban isn't running for president. Harris calls on Twitter to suspend Trump's account. And Biden proposes a new gun safety plan. Gosh, that is a lot of stories. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, a breaking story that I don't have a ton of detail on yet. Senator Bernie Sanders was hospitalized last night. Reading from a statement provided by the campaign, quote, During a campaign event yesterday evening, Senator Sanders experienced some chest discomfort. Following medical evaluation and testing, he was found to have a blockage in one artery and two stents were successfully inserted. Senator Sanders is conversing and in good spirits. He will be resting up over the next few days. We are canceling his events and appearances until further notice, and we will continue to provide appropriate updates. End quote. That campaign event was in Nevada on Tuesday night, so presumably all of this happened overnight. The campaign has also canceled a TV ad that was supposed to run in Iowa over the coming days. That would have been the first Sanders TV ad, and presumably they're canceling it because it was timed to coincide with a series of visits, including visits to Iowa. It's difficult to say right now what this means for Sanders or his campaign. For my part, I just hope the guy is okay. He does happen to be the oldest candidate running in the race now that former Senator Mike Gravel has dropped out. Sanders is 78, just two years older than Biden, five years older than Trump, and eight years older than Warren. Now, aside from the specific health concerns about Sanders, the big political question, obviously, is what happens on October 15th? He has a debate in just 13 days. I'm not sure whether any heart surgeon would advise a patient to go into that kind of situation so soon after having multiple stents put in. But I'm not a doctor, I'm just a podcaster. So for now, my heart goes out to Senator Sanders and his family. I will keep you posted as I learn more. Okay, and now a rock block of money stuff. I'm going to try to keep these short and focused each candidate and the key information we have. The big money news today is Senator Kamala Harris, who raised $11.6 million in Q3. That's basically equal to her Q2 number, which is $11.8 million. That's not an awesome showing, given that her number didn't grow, but it's not terrible either. She is one of the few candidates to release cash on hand figures and says she has about $10 million in cash. And why does that matter? Well, it means she has plenty of money to spend on campaign ads and whatever else needs to happen in the coming months. Her latest strategy is to focus hard on Iowa, so expect to see a lot of spending and perhaps advertising there. Next up, Andrew Yang raised a shocking $10 million in Q3. This, of all the Democratic financial results I'll read today, is probably the biggest deal because of the change from Q2. Now, back in Q2, Yang raised $2.8 million, so he's now more than tripled that number. 
It's also notable that in his entire campaign prior to Q3, Yang had raised a total of about $5.3 million, and he's been in this for 695 days. So, point being, to raise $10 million in three months is double what he managed to do in about a year and a half. That is serious growth, and coupled with his low but slowly rising polling numbers means he will probably still be around even as the DNC ratchets up its requirements for future debates. He also did release cash on hand figures, saying he has about $6 million available to spend. Beyond that, he also released donor figures, saying he has almost 300,000 donors so far. Next up, Senator Cory Booker announced that he raised more than $6 million in Q3. Now, this comes right on the heels of a last-ditch fundraising effort in the final 10 days of the quarter where he brought in about $2 million right at the end. I'm honestly not sure whether that's good or bad overall. It certainly means he's not dropping out, but beyond that, I'm not sure whether there's any particularly good news hiding in these numbers. To put the new number in context, Booker raised about $4.5 million in Q2, so he is up from there. But if he had not gotten that last-minute boost, his overall fundraising could have declined between the two periods, which would be a really rough message for his campaign going forward. Now, that didn't happen, but it could have. At the moment, Booker faces a serious uphill climb. In The Economist's polling average, he gets 1% and is in ninth place in the Democratic field, just ahead of Senator Amy Klobuchar. So we'll just have to see where he goes from here. Colorado Senator Michael Bennett raised $2.1 million in Q3, and that is actually down from his Q2 number, which was $2.8 million. The campaign said it still has $1.8 million in cash on hand. Bennett is currently not on track to appear in any future DNC debates, so it's unclear whether he has a path to the nomination. Bennett has been one of the most vocal critics of the DNC's rules for the debates, as the DNC ruthlessly winnows the field, which has kept Bennett off the stage lately. Bennett's Senate seat is safe until 2022, so he does have time to stay in the presidential race if he chooses. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And while we're talking single-digit millions and sometimes double-digit millions for the Democratic candidates, over on the Republican side, President Trump and the RNC together raised roughly $125 million in Q3. 
That is a huge amount of money objectively. And it's a huge amount of money relative to previous sitting presidents. On Twitter, New York Magazine reporter Eric Levitz pointed out that this number compares very favorably to the comparatively meager $70 million that then-President Obama and the DNC raised together in the same period in 2011. Meaning, Trump's re-election fund is in awesome shape. It's frankly hard to overstate the significance of this number. It actually breaks the record for fundraising in a single quarter for a presidential candidate, incumbent or otherwise. Now, we're not super sure what the split is between the presidential fund and the RNC fund, but those two entities are so closely entwined, it doesn't really matter much. The RNC slash Trump combo also announced that their total cash on hand is now more than $156 million. On Twitter, former Obama advisor Dan Pfeiffer wrote, quote, This should be a giant wake-up call. Trump is going to have more resources to deploy earlier and more aggressively than any candidate in history, end quote. And of course, that spending is already well underway. Reading here from an Associated Press story by Zeke Miller, quote, Last week, as House Democrats launched their impeachment effort, the Trump campaign announced it would spend $8 million to air an ad attacking Democrats for trying to steal the 2020 campaign. The RNC said it would spend $2 million attacking Democrats for their support of impeachment, end quote. And let me read here from a New York Magazine article by Matt Steib, quote, The RNC is also outraising the Democratic National Committee. According to the most recent disclosure forms from the end of August, the RNC had $53.8 million in cash on hand compared to the DNC's $8.2 million, end quote. In case you don't have a calculator handy, the head office finally sent me one so I can do that math for you. That means the RNC has roughly 6.5 times the money that the DNC has. And just one more tidbit from that same article. Quote, Don't forget the MAGA merch, which is big business for the president. One consultant estimates that 30% of campaign contributions in the midterm cycle came from supporters buying stuff like red hats and political novelty items. End quote. Meanwhile, here is a super short item. Mark Cuban, the billionaire entrepreneur, has explained why he is not running for president as an independent. His family won't let him. And to be perfectly frank, that is a really good reason not to do something. You kind of need to have your family on board if you're going to go out there and do this stuff. In an interview on the Fox Business Network, Cuban said, quote, My family voted it down. If you can change their mind, I'm all in. End quote. Yesterday, Senator Kamala Harris wrote a formal letter to Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, asking that President Trump's Twitter account be suspended. In the letter, Harris points to a series of tweets that violate the Twitter terms of service. She also went on CNN and spoke to Anderson Cooper about this. Here's a clip from that CNN appearance. Listen in. The president's tweets and his behaviors about this are just further evidence of the fact that he uses his power in a way that is designed to beat people down instead of lift people up. Frankly, when you look at what he's been tweeting today, directed at the whistleblower, um, directed at, at so many people, uh, you know, I, I frankly think that based on this and all we've seen him do before, including ta- attacking members of Congress, that he frankly should be, his Twitter account should be suspended. Um, I think there is 
there's plenty of, of, of now evidence to suggest that he is irresponsible with his words in a way that could result in harm to other people. And so the privilege of using those words in that way should probably be taken from him. In the letter, Harris goes down the list of recent tweets and points out the specific parts of the Twitter terms of service that she believes they violate. The list of people targeted by Trump are the so far anonymous whistleblower, the person or people who provided information to the whistleblower, plus House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. And then Harris points to another tweet that mentions a, quote, civil war-like fracture in this nation, end quote, which she construes as a threat of violence. Reading from the conclusion of the letter, quote, These are blatant threats. We need a civil society, not a civil war. These tweets represent a clear intent to baselessly discredit the whistleblower and officials in our government who are following the proper channels to report allegations of presidential impropriety, all while making blatant threats that put people at risk and our democracy in danger. In the past, Twitter has banned or suspended people who have violated its user agreement. InfoWars host Alex Jones was permanently banned from the platform in 2018 for spreading disinformation and inciting violence. Disgraced hedge fund manager Martin Shkreli and actor James Woods were both suspended from Twitter for using the platform to harass and spread hateful messages. I believe the president's recent tweets rise to the level that Twitter should consider suspending his account. Others have had their accounts suspended for less offensive behavior. And when this kind of abuse is being spewed from the most powerful office in the United States, the stakes are too high to do nothing. No user, regardless of their job, wealth, or stature, should be exempt from abiding by Twitter's user agreement, not even the President of the United States. End quote. Now, while Twitter hasn't formally responded yet, they did speak to Addie Robertson at The Verge. Reading from that article, quote, Twitter told The Verge that it has received the letter and plans to respond to Harris's concerns. However, it almost certainly won't suspend Trump's account. The platform allows politicians with a sufficient number of followers to break its rules, asserting that it's in the public interest for users to see the tweets. It reserves the right to flag particularly bad tweets, but it's never even reached that point with Trump despite previous controversies. In 2017, it cited public interest to justify letting Trump threaten war against North Korea in a tweet, although it did later delete a Trump video that included copyrighted music from a Batman film. It's unclear how Twitter is generally policing veiled threats of civil war. The company told BuzzFeed that it wouldn't remove a tweet from a prominent militia group claiming that the idea of a full-blown, hot civil war was increasingly on people's tongue. Like its competitor Facebook, the social network is struggling to moderate threatening political language on its platform without being seen as taking an ideological stance, something that Harris is attempting to highlight, if not necessarily change, with her letter. End quote. Today, former Vice President Joe Biden released the Biden Plan to End Our Gun Violence Epidemic. The plan begins by listing Biden's previous action on gun safety, including helping to pass the Brady Bill in 1993, which created the current background check system. He also worked in 1994 with Senator Dianne Feinstein to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines for 10 years. However, when that 10-year ban expired, it was not renewed. Well, Biden would like to fix that, among many other things. Reading from a summary in Axios by Alexei McCammond, quote, 
Biden's plan would ban the manufacture and sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, but it would not call for a mandatory assault weapons buyback program as Beto O'Rourke has proposed. Instead, it gives those who own such guns two choices. Sell the weapons to the government or register them under the National Firearms Act. Other policies in Biden's plan. Mandating universal background checks for all gun sales except for gifts between close family members. Closing the boyfriend, hate crime, fugitive from justice, and Charleston loopholes in the current federal background check system. Ending the online sale of guns incentivizing states to implement gun licensing programs of their own, calling on Congress to appropriate $50 million to accelerate research on causes and prevention of gun violence at the CDC and NIH, and prohibiting the use of federal funds to arm or train educators to use guns in schools. End quote. The plan is about 12 pages long, and it is genuinely comprehensive. This one bit jumped out at me, though, and I want to read it to you. Quote, federal law prevents hunters from hunting migratory game birds with more than three shells in their shotgun. That means our federal law does more to protect ducks than children. It's wrong. Joe Biden will enact legislation to once again ban assault weapons. This time, the ban will be designed based on lessons learned from the 1994 bans. For example, the ban on assault weapons will be designed to prevent manufacturers from circumventing the law by making minor changes that don't limit the weapon's lethality. While working to pass this legislation, Biden will also use his executive authority to ban the importation of assault weapons. End quote. Now, all of this comes ahead of a major event today in Las Vegas. It's a presidential forum hosted by both Giffords and March for Our Lives. And, of course, it comes one day after the second anniversary of the Route 91 mass shooting. I hope to have highlights from that event for you tomorrow. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, even though I read a ton of money stuff on today's show, there are still, by my count, 13 Democratic candidates who haven't announced their numbers yet for Q3. I'm curious to see what those are, and as we get closer to mid-month, I may have to give you a dose of FEC explainers. I know, those are definitely your favorite. If you have questions about how all this money stuff works, please send them in. I've gotten a few of those in the past, and I always enjoy answering listener questions, because to be honest, I almost always learn something new myself when I do that. So as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.